0: Welcome to the Natalie Creates Podcast, creating your best life one step at a time. I'm your host, Natalie Freeman, lifestyle blogger and business owner of almost 10 years. Join me here for conversations with entrepreneurs and personal development leaders about business growth, mental health, relationships, and more. Are you ready to take the next step towards your best life? Let's get started. If you like what you hear today, please leave a review and share this podcast on Instagram. Simply take a screenshot, share on stories and tag me and Natalie creates so I can thank you for your support. This episode is sponsored by One Canoe Two, a women-owned and operated stationery company that is close to my heart. These ladies create products with meaning, intention, and of course, incredible beauty. One Canoe 2's hand-painted calendars, planners, and best-selling greeting cards are some of my absolute favorites. And you guys should check out their incredible carry-all tote bag collection. You can get the goods at onecanoe2.com. That's one the number, canoe like a boat, to the number.com and use discount code NatalieCreates for free shipping off any order. Before we get started, I want to first mention that this podcast was recorded earlier this year before the worldwide outbreak of COVID-19. While none of us knew what lie ahead for the future of our businesses and our lives, I do believe that the nuggets of wisdom shared here are still relevant and worth listening to. On today's episode, I am chatting with my friend Beth Snyder of One Canoe Two in Hemlock. Beth has been a business mentor of mine for years, so I am thrilled to share her wisdom with you today. Like so many small business owners, Beth is currently carrying the incredibly heavy burden of supporting her team members and their families during this unprecedented time. I encourage you to check out onecanoew2.com and shop their incredible goods, including greeting cards, puzzles, and more. Beth and her team bring so much light to the world. Now let's return the favor. Beth, I am so happy to have you on the podcast. I am excited to be on a podcast, and I get to hold
1: a microphone, which feels very official.
0: It's very fancy. Yes. Well, let's get started. I just want to ask you about your journey. Like, who are you? How did you get started?
1: Um, so, I'm Beth Snyder. I own a company called One Canoe Two, which is I like to say that we are an artist and an illustration company. We happen to sell those illustrations on paper goods mostly. And I, we've been in business for ten years. I work full time. I have twelve employees. And I live in Folsom, Missouri. Basically, at the core of my person, I'm a maker. So I love to make a thing. And I love to sell it. <laughs> because I, loved, I love when I can like make something that makes people really happy. And happy enough that they would part with a little bit of money. That's like the ultimate compliment. So I started my very first business was when I was in fourth grade. I owned a friendship bracelet making co-op. I love this so much. <laughs> Some people would call it an MLM, a multi-level marketing. <laughs> Stop! Or like a pyramid scheme, perhaps. Anyway, it ended with me in the principal's office, which was hugely embarrassing for me. Because I, can't, I, I was can't. I, like, I'm a goody two shoes, goody two shoes to my core. To my core. So that was my first business. It didn't work out. Like I I literally I would take orders from people, I would go to Walmart and buy the embroidery floss to make the friendship bracelets, and then I would farm out the labor to my friends. Stop. And <laughs> they didn't understand. That I had to take out my COGS, my cost of goods sold, <laughs> before I paid them. <laughs> I went to the principal's office. <laughs>
0: uh, so, so, Were your parents so proud, though? Uh, my mom said, I just don't want this to affect your schoolwork.
1: <laughs> I said, it's not. She said, it already has. Like, I remember getting in p- pretty big trouble. Also, my dad was the superintendent of our school district. So it was extra embarrassing. It was um. mortifying. But those girls just did not understand. They did not understand my, like, goals. That was the start
0: of your hustle. My hashtag
1: biz lady goals. They didn't understand. Yeah. Um, But actually, somebody pointed out to me not that long ago that that is a, it's an interesting story because even the very first business I started, I wanted to do it with other people. Yes. And it's, like, so important to me to do it with other people. It's just not, like, it's not fun. I think it's way more fun to do it with people. So my next business was called Beth's Bumbles and Beads where I made like, jewelry out of female clay, and I decorated glasses out of female, like glass bottles. And that was when I was in early high school, I think. My mom gave me $250 on a, she wrote like all my debts out on a legal pad, and I, she like gave me $250 to start. And then by the time I went to college, I had saved $40,000.
0: Beth, what? <laughs> yeah. I did not know. Did you sell them at poppy?
1: Yeah. So my mom walked them into poppy one day, like in a wicker basket. And my mom is very like, she's a science lady. She's a dietitian. So the thought of my mom doing a, a, like a sales rep call to a boutique is really funny to me at this point, but you know, she did, she would do anything for her kids. So she did. And then I sold a ton of stuff there. I mean, I sold a ton of stuff. So the owner of poppy, um,
0: she yeah, Barb. She owned Poppy, she started it. She owned it for like 30 years. If the listeners don't know what Poppy is, it's an incredible store yeah. in Columbia, Missouri. Yeah. Um, I actually know Beth through Columbia. Yeah and so I would frequent Poppy all the time. We need to have Liz, who's the current owner. Oh yeah, she's we need great. to have Liz on the podcast. So great.
1: So Barb was this like really intense, kind of scary lady to a 14-year-old me. she, she was she was, but she was a she serious. Was business lady. Yes. And she didn't pull any punches just because I was 14. So like if I made a, a necklace and she charged $150 for it, like I was like, "Are you kidding me? You're going to somebody's going to pay $150 for something I made and I'm 14 in 1994." <laughs> you know, I thought that was crazy, but if some, if they brought it back, she like She she was never rude. She was just really direct. She's like, This somebody paid a lot of money for this and it broke. So that's not okay. Mm. But then she also did incredibly generous things. Like she called she asked me if I was getting my supplies wholesale and she called in suppliers and set up meetings between me and the suppliers so that I could get my glass bottles wholesale. She's like, Now this is what wholesale is. I was like, Okay, great. (laughs) You know, I just, I learned a ton from her and I, I loved that business. I ran, like did little craft shows, um, and did the home parties and I just got a big kick out of people like wanting to buy the thing I made. It was just great. I loved it, but I was tired of it and it was like not in style anymore. And I I just wanted to go to college and be a college kid. So yeah. So I did that. Um, I went to the University of Missouri and I have a degree in graphic design and fibers, which just means I took a lot of like paper making and fabric dyeing classes while getting an actual workable education in graphic design. And while I was there, I worked at a TV station doing all kinds of things from like set design to graphics to, I worked for the production department and made it. (laughs) My crowning achievement at that job was that I had to do a, like a, (laughs) an ad for the local car dealership. And the client really wanted me to make a border all around the screen out of percentage marks. It's like his really good idea.
0: It's <laughs> a terrible idea. So like
1: corporate and client work is not that cool sometimes, but I learned a lot. And then when I graduated, I ended up living in Nashville. I moved to Nashville and I lived there for six years and I worked at the CBS affiliate there. And that was like, so it was like local news so I did maps. Um, I did mugshots. I did. I like did a lot of infographics to illustrate stories for mm-hmm. the reporters, which I loved. And that is a super, super high intense job. Right. <laughs> like, it's just really stressful. And I did that for six years and like cried at least once a week in the stairwell. There's a secret stairwell at that place that like a spiral staircase. And that was just where I went to cry because I would spend all day working on like transposing a 911 call. And then when I exported it out, I didn't send the audio file with it. And so it would play on the air without the audio. <laughs> like, <it's> like, <laughs> <laughs> terrible things sometimes happen and people got very mad right so um so I lived there for six years and I I loved Nashville so much and I loved my friends and I really did like that job there's some really cool people there but I could I met my husband he was my boyfriend at the time and um I was just kind of looking down the road like okay so the schools aren't great here we're gonna have to live out in the county like 40 minutes from downtown to go to have kids that go to a good school we're gonna have to commute we were both making you know low wages at the time because we were young I was like this just it's a rat race and I don't want to do this forever and I've always always wanted to work for myself and be a you know an artist who made things and sold things and just like you know that just stay at home and do artwork all the time that's just a big fantasy so the whole time I lived in Nashville I'm not much of a partier or like a You know, I'm pretty lame, really. I like to go to bed early and get up early. Same. (laughs) So instead of, like, going out and having so much fun with my friends, I would, like, be at home and do all kinds of crafts. And then I would sell them. So I did, like, I did murals for people at their houses. I painted rugs. I sewed handbags. I painted canvas paintings. I did paper, paper things. And then I would, like just had a side hustle basically. I just always have like a little side hustle cuz I always want a little bit of extra
0: money. Right, I can relate to that. So,
1: I lived in Nashville from 2002 to 2008, and when I left college, I wanted to just do something creative and I loved living at home, but I just could see there was like no jobs. And not that the internet didn't exist in 2002, but e-commerce did not exist in 2002. So by the time I was thinking about leaving Nashville, I had had a little Etsy shop for a little while and I like had read a lot about Etsy stuff. And my husband bought me a letterpress, this tiny little tabletop letterpress for Christmas. And I started making a couple things. And I called my friend Carrie, who was an amazing artist, and she drew some stuff for us. We made stamps. She came down and printed stuff. And that's how One Canoe Two started was that Mm. we were doing that. We did that together. So the name One Canoe Two comes from One Canoe Two Girls because she and I had gone on lots and lots of canoe trips together. Mm. Um, And there's just something like I still have the email that I found out that long ago that's like us going back and forth and kind of coming to One Canoe Two off of Blue Canoe, Two Canoe, like just (laughs) trying to figure it out. So, So that was 2008. I moved back home. Um, with my husband back to where my parents live, which is Calloway County, Missouri. And just, I kept working like jobby jobs for another four years, but 1K2 was growing and really we launched on Etsy, which mm-hmm. is crazy. Right, I remember that. <laughs> I mean, and that was Etsy at that time, you could really get famous. You could get so much organic traffic from there in a way that you can't develop an audience now. Like it's really expensive to to acquire customers now. But at the time we got tons and tons of organic traffic from Etsy. And the anthropology buyer found us on Etsy and um, bought this recipe box that I had created, and it just kind of it just kind of rolled on from there, and we just kept doing like the next big thing, the next the next choice, the next choice, the next choice, and I ended up quitting my job in 2012, I think, and yeah, and I've been self-employed ever since then. So now we have 12 employees. Um, I bought Carrie, my business partner, out in 2015, which was a really big dramatic deal, I can now talk unemotionally about it. (laughs) But she left the business in 2015 and I have 12 employees now. We bought a building in 2016 and renovated it from Mm. top to bottom. And we sell, we go to trade shows, we sell to 1400 retail stores all over over the world. Beth, that's amazing. (laughs) It is amazing. And really people say like, what do you wanna do? How big do you wanna get? And I just say, I just wanna keep doing this with excellence and I wanna keep doing it with my team. And just my, my goal is not a dollar amount necessarily, it's just to be able to keep doing this for as long as we can, as long as, as, long as I want to, and to keep um, the standard of our workplace up. You know, to, I want it to be a place where people can come and they like to work and they're treated well. And I really want it to be a place where people bring their best selves. Mm. So that feels, I mean, that's like right back to my fourth grade self, like I, I only wanna do it together. Mm-hmm. I don't wanna do this by myself. Um, and I, I have the most amazing group of people who work for me. It's incredible. It's just, it's really rewarding every day. I love them. I would love to spend so much time with them. They don't like to hang out with their boss sometimes. <laughs> Turns out that's weird for them. Um, in fact, one of my, my, one of my top like, executive team members, Kate, she and her husband will come over and play risk with my husband, but she will not hang out with me outside of work. She hangs out with my husband, <laughs> but not me she's going to hear this and I love you, Kate, but, um, I just think that's funny, but that's I get it. You know, right. 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 I get
0: it. So there has to be some boundaries for sure. So Beth, I feel like you've touched on this a little bit, but what draws you to work? Is it creating a product that solves a problem or that you love, or is it the business part? Well, I, I think in my
1: core, I'm just a really good creative problem solver. I love a puzzle. I love to figure it out. And being an entrepreneur is nothing if not constantly creative problem solving. A thing. I love a breaking news situation, and I'm sure that's from my TV days. But I think I probably would have loved it anyway. But we had this one crazy guy who worked at the TV station who would be like, "We got breaking news! I got breaking news! I got breaking <laughs> news!" <laughs> and he would just like yell it at the top of his lungs. And like, we all get it; it's an emergency, but chill. Um, and so even now, like something will happen at work and I, I'll be the first person downstairs to start shipping things. I'm like, what needs to happen? Give me that tape gun. Let's get this done. I just I like sort of love an emergency circumstance. I, I love the challenge. It feels like a fire drill and I like it. But probably I think what draws me to work is just the idea that I could create an environment where people could come, myself included, and bring all of my best talents to the table and use them. Mm -hmm. and use them in service of other people and so it has really nothing to do with the product I create I mean like I would probably also I love art and I love creativity and I love products I love the world that we're in but it I think the core of it is just the people
0: how do you cultivate that because I feel like you know listeners right now they might be starting a brand or someone like me you're starting to build a team Right. And you're really being intentional about the culture that you want to create. So how do you cultivate that? I mean, I have,
1: (laughs) I have so many opinions. I have so many thoughts about leadership, but the number one thing is that it never starts with ego. Like uh, it can, a good leadership, a good leader never makes a decision based on your ego. I really feel like if you're a leader, you should be serving every one of your employees. Yes. Um, you know, <laughs> I explained it. My daughter is nine, and she and her friend were playing in our office. They were they were playing office at my work after school one day because lots of times we'll have kids there after school because somebody doesn't have child care, including myself. Um, it's a super family-friendly environment. But they were playing office, and her friend goes, okay, I'm the boss, and that means you do what I say. And I was like, actually, Jenna, when you're the <laughs> boss... You really don't get to nobody does. You actually have to be nicer to people when you're the boss. And she said, "What?" And I said, "Yeah. Like if there are 10 cookies and there are 9 people and you're the boss, you're the one who doesn't get a cookie." And she was like, "What?" <laughs> like she was totally incensed by that. But I I mean, just I think just I think people can tell when you are focused on your own success versus focused on the team's success. And I'm I'm really invested in whether people are happy at their jobs, which sometimes I probably some people would say that's not healthy, but that's just how I have to lead from the core of myself. Like I have to treat people Mm -hmm. the way I want to be treated. I worked at several corporate jobs, you know, that were wonderful in different ways, but also didn't work for me in the way that I wanted to work. You know, they weren't as flexible as I needed to be, or, the, like the whole butt in seat thing where you have to be at work from eight to five and it doesn't matter what you're doing at 445, you still better just have your butt in that seat. I can't stand it. That's mm-hmm. not rational. You know, there's right. there's stuff to be done.
0: Um, so, yeah. How do you trust your employees? Like, I mean, you do part of the illustration, but you have these incredible people on your team who do the majority of the illustration. Yeah. I mean, how do you delegate that out and say... I trust you completely.
1: Well, I mean, it helps that they all do their jobs better than I could do it, right? And that's part of the ego thing. And and I sometimes have to like take a deep breath and be like, it's okay that that Kate and Haley who do all of our artwork right now. I do I do a ton of artwork, but it doesn't really end up on one can you two stuff because mm-hmm. my personal style is really different. My personal style, what I like, are super loose, really. Um, Hand drawn things, and the one can do two style is a lot more polished. I, I physically cannot paint in the one can do two style mm-hmm. as, it, as it currently stands. So, you know, so they bring an artwork that I know I cannot do. I physically don't have the talent to do that artwork, and I I just mostly have a really great attitude about it. I mean, it. There have been a few moments where I'm like, is that okay that I'm their boss and I am not as good at them as them at this. And mostly I'm just like so thrilled. Like how great that they get to be artists for a living. How great that I have them on my team and that they have, you know, learned how to paint in the one you two style after Carrie, who did most of the artwork at, towards the end when she left. I, I mean, I thought, well, I'm going to do the artwork. And then I pretty quickly realized it's really hard to get in the art space of your brain and be in the business space at the same time. And it just, it's just too much. I think I could probably either be, I could be the artist for some company, maybe not for one can you two, maybe for my other companies. Um, but it's really hard to be in both of those brain spaces. So, so not just the artist though, like there's, um,
0: can I ask you a question real quick? Yeah. Does it terrify you though, that they could leave? Yeah,
1: but I mean, I can't, I just can't think about that. Right. And also, I just believe in giving them so much ownership. I can, Mm -hmm. and I talk to them about, like, I can see a time when I'm, I own a um, umbrella company and I have a few different things. We have a few different brands.
0: We'll definitely talk about those.
1: And they like, you know, they run, they do their thing. Um it really it really hit home because in October I was in India for three weeks and then I came home and I got really sick for a week. So I wasn't at the office and my first Monday back at the office after being out for four weeks <laughs> and Haley said, Kate, when can I start this promotion? Because like, when, when will everything be up on the website? When will this happen? When is it okay? And I was like, what? I, and and Kate answered and they had their conversation. It was done. And usually I was part of that. I was the one they were asking. I was like, you didn't ask me. That's awesome. Yes. I'm like, that is so great. And I'm just really clear with them. I'm not a good micromanager. I'm not, a, I'm probably just not a good manager. I can manage people, but I'm not going to say, what are you doing today? Well, I think you should put this on your to-do list. Mm-hmm. I just can really only hire people who can self-manage. And that doesn't work for everybody, you know. Right. and that's a hard lesson. But I mean, I would trust any of those people. If I got hit by a bus tomorrow, they would run the company, and it would be, I think, fine. <laughs> it would be fine for a long time. I mean, I come in and do big ideas, and I know that that's my, my space is to kind of push them, and to my job is to come up with the big ideas and to push them to make sure we don't run out of money. <laughs> And also make sure that they can—they are free to do their jobs, to just get out of their way, because they're all so much better at their jobs. I was starting to say Kate, who I was talking about earlier, she's mm-hmm. um, our operations person. She's detail-oriented on a level that's just and like a rule follower on a level that I cannot be. And if it wasn't for her, like everything would be jacked up all the time. It would be terrible. So, yeah, all those people do their jobs better
0: than me, and I am great at it. I love it. But is it that part of a team? Like we hire. Based on skills that we don't have. Yes. The so.
1: thing that I the thing that is a question for me is you're supposed to hire for your weaknesses. And I think I do that as far as skills, but I really like to hire people who have a really similar personality to me. Mm. And I have a hard time with people whose personality profile is really different. Like, I just don't, I don't feel comfortable. And if I don't feel comfortable with somebody, and if I don't feel like they're happy at work, I just can't handle it. Right. But I
0: mean, your job is creating a culture. Yeah. Yeah. And so in so I mean, you're not saying that everyone has to believe the same thing, but if they oh. have a personality that doesn't connect to the rest of the team, that's going to be really difficult when you're sitting down and having lunch together Yeah, or you're in a meeting space together. Yeah. I can get that. I get that. Yeah. So I'm reading this book right now called the speed of trust.
1: It's by John Maxwell, and I can't remember if it's John C. Maxwell or the mm-hmm. dad or the son. I don't know. Um, and it, it, <laughs> I realized why I had to let somebody go a, a couple years ago who was really integral to the company. But I realized why I had – I, I couldn't have t- put it into words at the time, but it's, it's all about trust. So we all have a ton of trust for each other, and that makes things go faster and more efficiently. So if I say to Kate, I have a crazy idea – I want to do this thing, And she says, "Okay, well, tell me about this, this, and this. She will ask me a few questions that are really important, but she won't put up a whole wall and ask so many questions that we can never get anything done, because she mm-hmm. trusts that, like, she trusts me to do my job and like not bring her something that will totally not be functional. right. And she also trusts that when she questions me, I'm not going to get mad about it. You know, so there's this speed that can happen when you trust all the people in your team, and they all trust each other you can kind of build off ideas and and like kind of ping-pong off of each other but if you have one person in that group who is not trusting of the situation or of their place you know their ego is getting in the way and they like they don't trust it then that person just they can shut down the whole creative process which in my company is a really big deal we have super collaborative product development team and super collaborative art and marketing and if one person is there saying, "Um, I don't know. I don't think that's going to work." And ultimately that person doesn't trust me and the decisions I'm making, that is toxic to the whole company. Right. And, you know, it just doesn't work. And it's hard for me cuz I mean, of course you're allowed to not like me. <laughs> right. But I do think you have to think I'm good at my job if you work for me.
0: For sure. And that's okay, right? That's absolutely okay. <laughs> it, I don't yes. Know. For sure. Beth, what is the best part about leadership? I oh it's just like
1: providing the opportunities for the people who work for me. Mm-hmm. Like I I am really proud of that. I'm really proud that Kate and Haley started working for me when they were 19 and they you know they they get to paint like 50% of both of their jobs is to paint. That's that's pretty rare to that's be an incredible. illustrator. Um and I I'm really proud that I think all the people I mean I think I really think every single person who works for me really likes it because I think that they think that they're bringing their best skills and helping their friends. I hope, I hope they're not really thinking about helping me, but they're helping their friends do their jobs, like meaning their coworkers do their jobs. Yeah. Just being like, I just love my, I love my team so much. They're Mm -hmm. so great.
0: What's the worst part?
1: (laughs) The worst part is just the responsibility. You know, there's just this huge weight of responsibility because if I'm, not an evolved person enough to not hire somebody who's not a good fit, then I have to let them go because it's not working. Cause I have to make the right decision for the business and that's their livelihood. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah, the absolute worst, like the worst feeling in the world is having to fire anybody, even if they've done something wrong, which I've actually never had to fire somebody cause they did something wrong. I just, it just isn't a good fit, you know? And that just feels so terrible. And to know that yeah, my shortcomings affect other people's live lives, that's really mm-hmm. that's a lot. It's a lot to carry. Right.
0: How do you find mentors and surround yourself with people who challenge you to level up, to make a bigger impact? Um that definitely comes down to vulnerability
1: and just being vulnerable enough to ask a person a question. I'm, so, I'm such a big question asker. I told my husband that I want on my gravestone I want to say I have some questions. <laughs> <laughs> um but like the first time I met my really good friend, Lee, she came in my booth and she was going to order some stuff for her shop. And I said, listen, can I ask you a bunch of questions about licensing? Cause I knew she had done licensing. And she said, of course. And like, I remember that interaction and being like, this is how this could be. We can ask questions and like help each other and not feel comp- competitive. Cool. I am mm-hmm. on board with that. So the people who I've kind of drawn close to me are people who are, who are vulnerable with me and okay with me being vulnerable. You know, they're not people who, when I show my vulnerable side, they dump on it. (laughs) Right. And I've had that happen a couple of times where I've been super generous with information and generous with contacts and uh, hooking people up. And then when I said, well, actually this isn't that partnership's not working so great for me. And they're like, Oh, well I made 20,000. Like interesting. (laughs) Right. You know, and that feels really terrible because what I found out was that she didn't do that Mm -hmm. in the end. So Why, why would you, I don't know. Anyway, so most of my, like all of my really close friends are people who I just get real, real with real quick. Like, Mm -hmm. let's just get to, I don't like small talk. What's the point? I
0: have lots of questions. (laughs) Tell me the things. (laughs) Right. And also when you get vulnerable, they're willing to also get vulnerable. Right. Totally. Um, You're not kind of breaking down that wall and they're like, well, actually everything's perfect for me. And you're like, that's not real life. It's not.
1: Yeah. And I, there's a fine line between like being self-deprecating for humor and being vulnerable about your shortcomings and then being like really negative about yourself for right. sure. And you can, you know, you can see through that. So people who have confidence, I'm, I'm always drawn to somebody who has confidence and vulnerability. Like that combo is really where the sweet spot is. I think
0: for growing, for learning from other people, from helping other people along their journey. Mm-hmm. Do you have habits or daily practices that encourage you to do your job better?
1: I'm not a great person with habits. <laughs> I just, I mean, for example, I've driven an automatic car for like 11 years now, but I drove a stick shift car for probably 11 years before that. Every once in a while, I slam on the brake because I think it's the clutch in my forerunner. <laughs> which I do not, I have an automatic forerunner. So, right. you know, so like, I think my brain doesn't form habits in a great way, but mm. I, one thing I do is exercise. So I am a super early riser, which is obnoxious to everyone, including me. I feel like I'm, I feel like my German ancestors are like, Fraline, it's time to wake up. <laughs> it's time to work. Get up. Um, I can't believe I just did an impression on a podcast. Sorry. Um, <laughs> anyway, I like, I just wake up super early, I wake up pretty naturally at like 530 every single morning. And so when my daughter was two, I started going to the gym and like fought really hard to make that work and fought really hard to like get myself permission to be away from my family. And, um, and I definitely have gone off and on of that, but I, at the end of the day, like it's, I've, I think I've just done it for so long now that it feels like a real reward. So my, mm. so the reward is I work out, I do like a hit workout or I do a lot of cardio. And then at the end of the workout, I go and walk in circles on the track.
0: <laughs> That's your
1: reward. I love it. That's, and it, I love that about you. Because all you have to do is just keep putting one foot in front of the other. And,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it's being active. I'm like a real, I'm a real fidgety person. So being active like that, like sort of releases my brain to like, if I'm bored, great ideas come and I'll often just go up there. The track is like an elevated track at the Y where I go. And I just literally walk in circles. I zone out. Like I'm, I have my eyes open, but I wouldn't, couldn't, I could not tell you where I am on the track at any given time. Cause I'm just like in this meditative state. Mm. And I, I definitely think there's like a physical aspect to mental health. You know, that exercise is really good for my mental health to just like kind of make my body tired. So tired. I can't be as anxious as it would normally be, but also Just the clear time when nobody needs anything from me. And yeah, I mean, it's really hard to force yourself to have time to think. So like when I'm driving, I will often turn the radio off and just not have any music on. Sometimes I drop my daughter off at work and then I take what I call a victory lap. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm ashamed to say it involves getting a Diet Coke at McDonald's first. (laughs) because it's the best diet coke it's really really cold and really really fizzy it's only three quarters of a mile between her school and my office but i will go and just like do a loop around town for about 10 minutes because i just need a minute before i'm ready to go into work right yeah mornings are rough at my house they are intense so yeah i need the victory lap
0: (laughs) that's so good um Talk to me about your mastermind group, because I feel like listeners need to know more about it. You were one of the first people that I heard about who had a mastermind group. Yeah. How did you get that started? Who did you, how did you choose who was going to be involved? Are you still doing it? Yeah. I actually, I kind of have two mastermind groups. One started
1: more formally because I heard somebody talk at a conference Um, who set up all the mastermind groups in St. Louis, like a really formal organization. And I was like, I want to do that. So my friend Kristen um, and I got together and we were like, we want to have a mastermind group. And they wouldn't let us in because we were too far away from St. Louis. They're like, you have to come to the meeting. And we're like, we don't want to come all the way to St. Louis for the meeting. We can just do this. So we kind of talked, um, and talked about people who we thought would be good. We sent out a survey, which is pretty official,
0: Mm. but in
1: the end it just ended up being, um, well, it was five people at the beginning. It's four now, but people who have, I, I can't even, I think it's, I think it was just like the universe telling us we need the four of us need to be together. So, um, my master, mastermind group is me. I own a creative business where we wholesale stuff and we, where we do e-commerce. Kristen owns Hoot Design Co, which is an advertising agency and marketing. So she knows a ton about that. Well, that affects my business. We yeah, do that's amazing. everything marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesse Bodine owns Scout and Nimble, which is an e-commerce um, interior design and furniture company. So that's you know similar. And they do it like, on a way bigger level than us and know so much about SEO and Instagram and all kinds right. of things. And then um, Liz Tucker owns Poppy, which is a store, like our number one best retail store forever and ever, amen, the end, like times 35 better than any other store we have. And so she's a customer of mine. So we are all sort of in creative arenas, but they are not competitive, but we all, like everything overlaps the other thing is we all have kids who are about the same age. Our kids are like from 12 to, well, Kristen just had a, had a baby, but like 12 to seven. Mm. And we're sort of at the same phases in our lives. Um, and they're all like, you know, nobody's a jerk. <laughs> that was the number one requirement. Like nobody can be a jerk <laughs> or, right. or or annoying but we're like really vulnerable. I mean, they're my some of my very best friends at this point. They know everything about my business. Sometimes we talk about family stuff. We meet every two weeks as we like as best we can for 2 hours. So, and we we're supposed to come with an ask, one ask, one give. So, one ask is like, what do I do about this HR issue? And the give is something like, I read this book last week and it's amazing or this podcast mm-hmm. or whatever. And there's definitely times like where I need to talk more or Well, I'm always talking and Kristen's always talking and then Liz and Jesse are quieter, but there's definitely times when somebody has an issue that we're kind of working through. So we'll talk more about them. But like we go on what we call retreats, but are kind of vacations together. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And they, oh my gosh, I just can't even describe like how helpful they have been in, in my business and also just like in my personal growth to like take a chill pill. Right. And to not quite burn quite so hot and to be like more thoughtful and more intentional about things. And then my other mastermind group is um, friends of mine. I call them my, my card lady friends. <laughs> so it's three other women who own card businesses who honestly are farther advanced in their careers and have bigger businesses than mine. But but we all have this. We all have vulnerability and we have confidence, like those two things. And we're all friends in real life, but also like I'm staying at um, Anna's house. This, we're all four staying at Anna's house this week because we're in, at market in Atlanta together, spending time together. But we haven't been together in person in two years. But most of the time we're on Marco Polo, which is this app um, that does video. So one of us will get on and be like, "Oh my gosh, you guys!" all of our sales reps are being terrible or our, our website numbers are super far down. Like what should we do? Or just, I, I saw this cool thing or like Emily's been in Bali for a bunch of months. And so she will send us videos of monkeys in her private pool or whatever. Um, <laughs> and you're all better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, except apparently in Bali, lizards live on your walls and that's not a big deal. You're not here for I'm that. I'm not okay. I'm yeah. not okay with that. Just to be clear. Nope. 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 Um, so those women have, know exactly what's going on because they're in my exact industry, but how unusual that we technically could view ourselves as competitors because we're vying for shelf space, but we just don't like it. it we're all very different. We all have a different style and mm-hmm. we can just be supportive. And I, we just all like each other a lot.
0: Beth, that's huge.
1: I know. I mean, don't you think that's just the way it should be it like, should. if you can really take your ego out of it and it's hard sometimes like i have the smallest business of all those people you know but i just i'm grateful to be there and grateful to talk to them and there are times when i could come in and offer advice you know and i i just have to be okay with that That's great
0: mm-hmm. so yeah how do you choose what next move you'll make how do you have vision for growth all my walking in circles on the track. <laughs> I mean, that kind of is it,
1: but probably it just, it's just in my DNA. Like I want to make something. I'm really curious about things and i I, I want to make something. And also I do not ever want to have to work for another person <laughs> ever right. again. This is pretty motivating to me. I just want to make enough money that I can keep doing this. And I don't want to have to have my butt in seat from eight to five ever again. Mm-hmm. Um, Like in trying to come up with like the next move, it's, I mean, it's still sort of a survivalist mentality, right? Like that's, that's probably just part of my DNA that I'm trying to, I'm always like a little worried that I'm not going to have enough of something. So I have a lot of ideas and like a lot of, I have a lot of ambition that comes probably from a a false sense of scarcity about things, things I need to go therapy about. (laughs) Don't we all? Yeah. So, I mean, there's so many things I'm just interested in. I love anything to do with fabric. So that's why I started Hemlock, which is my bandana company, in March of this year. Talk a little bit about Hemlock. Yeah, so I said earlier, like, I don't really do artwork for One Canoe, two, but I'm always doing artwork um, at home and in my sketchbook, and I love it. And I went to India a couple years ago with a friend of mine who has a tea towel company, um, and I, all of a sudden I had a manufacturer to make something on fabric. And I was like, what should I make? So I went to this store called White's Mercantile um, in Nashville, which is a wonderful store. Now she's got a bunch of stores. I mean, it is killer. It's so beautifully styled. It's just so beautifully curated and well done. And I bought a bandana there. And I just didn't even look at the price because I I have this theory that people, there are some things people don't even look at the price because they assume they know
0: what it is. Yeah, you assume it's going to be between... 14 and 18 dollars. Correct. Yeah.
1: So I'd picked it up. I bought a bunch of other stuff. And then when I got to the car, I was looking at the receipt. I was like, that bandana was like $25, which is fine. I mean, whatever. It said White's Mercantile on it, and I wanted it. It was a souvenir. But then I thought, I wonder why it was $25. I wonder who she had to make that for her. There must be nobody who is making those like on a on that level. And I actually had kind of looked before to find a screen printer, somebody who would screen print things. And it just found it to be super expensive. And I couldn't figure out how it was. I was like, somebody, nobody is figuring this out. And nobody's making, then I was like, well, nobody's making artwork intensive bandanas with interesting colors. And then I could, I kept seeing things on Instagram. Like I think bandanas are about to have a minute. <laughs> and so I had a manufacturer and I drew up 12 designs. I set up a quick website and a logo spent an embarrassingly small amount of time doing any marketing and I, and $6,000 to invest in my inventory and it did great. (laughs) And it did great last year.
0: Yeah. I love Hemlock. It's amazing. I
1: love it too. And it's just so simple. You know, it's, I have backpacks too, which are selling okay, but the bandanas is just so easy. It's a 22 by 22 inch square and I know exactly how they should look and I know what colors I want them to be in. It's just such a simple product, it's such a simple company compared to the hundreds of SKUs I have for One Canoe 2.
0: Right. And it's refreshing to do something a little different.
1: It, yeah. And it's refreshing to not be locked into the One Canoe 2 style. So if if we went and did, like, you know, of course, all the California 70s stuff that's, that's happening now that I feel is, like, surely on its way out because it's been happening for a couple years now. That whole California Seventies style. We maybe that's on trend, but One Canoe Two can't do that. That's not our. That's not our DNA. That's not who right. we are. That's not, our customer would be like, "What?" So we could figure out a way to like sort of touch on that, but we would never go all that way. So starting a new brand is a way to like start from scratch and like imagine a totally different style of artwork. So someday I envision One Canoe Two just. 1K2 means this style of artwork. That's that's the DNA of that brand is the artwork, not necessarily the products we sell. Mm-hmm. And Hemlock is also, the DNA of Hemlock is also this style of artwork, not necessarily the products. So, like, I might do cards for Hemlock. In fact, I've designed some cards for Hemlock that I might print. And someday I'd like to have, like, six or seven brands that just each have their own individual style of artwork and and have a different flavor of brand. Right. You know? Whenever I have to travel for work and I go to a restaurant, my favorite thing about traveling is to go to a restaurant and see how they've done their brand. Mm-hmm. Meaning, like, everything from the menu to the forks to the napkins to the way the waiters talk to you is perfectly thought out. It's amazing. It's so exciting as a, as a creative project, right? It's so exciting. Beth, what's next? I don't know. Like, when Hemlock came along, I just thought, this is a good idea. And I, I do think it was a good idea because nobody was making bananas. And still, I mean, nobody's making them like that in that way for that price point. Um, I don't know. I just have to see, like, what is the next idea? I would love if I could sort of skate off into the sunset and do different, <laughs> different jobs or different brands and my team could just run one canoe too. Not because I don't want to do the work, but because I find it so valuable like validating and so fulfilling to me to do the work that I would love for them to also have that fulfillment. And I, I think they mm. do get a taste of it now, but I'm so proud of them and like how they've have brought their talents to the table. I like want them to make sure that they've, what is the word like capitalized on all of that and mm-hmm. that they feel fully their success in mm. the business. And if I can go on and do other things and maybe own this umbrella company of some kind, that would be super gratifying to me. The other thing is that, like, I love to help people. Like, I would love to have some sort of mentoring system situation where if somebody has a good idea, I help them figure out how to get it to market. I have no idea how, like, that would be a business or anything else. But it's, like, I love to share. Like, why not? Think of the amazing products that could be out in the world if people were just way more open about their sourcing, about how business works. It could be a true meritocracy.
0: Right, that's amazing. That's so exciting. That is so exciting. Yeah. Beth, what is bringing you joy right now?
1: I love to soak in a hot tub. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not really into like spa life and massages, but just to soak in a, t- in a p- body of water is amazing. Um, 10,000 waves 10,000 waves in Santa Fe my happy <laughs> happiest place such a great spot <laughs> I took my husband and my daughter there in July of this year we went on vacation in Santa Fe just for a few days and I was like I just want you guys to experience my happiest place and <laughs> what they did like, they think they are like okay <laughs> they are like not the water was too hot for Amelia then the cold tank was too cold she's very much like Goldilocks I don't know and Jason's like yeah man everybody's just sitting here being weird, I don't know. He was like not into it. Oh, <laughs> um, what brings me joy every single day is—I mean, of course, my daughter and my husband laughing a lot. Um, I love to be funny. It's really like one of my my very first employee finally just said, "I figured out that if I just laugh at your jokes, you're cool with almost anything." <laughs> That's so true that's so true but I love to make things I love to do I have a pottery studio at home I love to do block printing I love to tinker just me going back into my like what I call like messy craft studio where I do all the paper marbling and painting of my ceramics and all the things like the thought of just having a whole day with no one else in the house but me to just I could paint and I could like work out creative problems like draw something so many times that I finally develop a style for it Mm -hmm. I just don't have the luxury of that time right now right so yeah Yeah. I have lots of escapist fantasies (laughs) (laughs) one of them is just basically having it not working but sending my daughter to school so I can be at the house by myself (laughs) and then it ranges all the way to the extreme which is that I would like to be in a convent for a period of time (laughs) I just want to have the like room that is white I have a very clear vision of it I visualized it fully I can eat meals with the sisters I might go to mass and sing songs because I like music but I will also just be in my room with like crayons and paper I don't know actually really nice art supplies and paper that's it
0: (laughs) well Beth this has been amazing oh good I'm glad thank you so much for joining us and I just want to just tell you thank you because You have answered so many of my questions throughout the years and I'm so grateful for you. Oh my gosh.
1: I'm so, I love, I like, (laughs) I think we should tell the story of when I brought you and Luke into my office when you're first starting to talk about Freckled Hen. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. You told me that you were going to launch that and I was like, okay. And then you were coming to Columbia for something. I said, you guys should come in. I'm going to talk to you. And I remember you sat across the my table, like as if I was the boss, and you were sitting across the table from me.
0: And well, I was like, because you were famous. I mean, I think you're famous now, but like, I don't think I'm you famous. were famous to me.
1: <laughs> I was like, "All right, listen, what is your shipping situation like?" And I remember Luke going, "Oh, okay, we're talking about this." I was like, "How many orders <laughs> do you think you're going to do? What is the situation? Here's the software pieces." And you guys are like, "Oh, okay, we're we're talking." I was like, "Yeah, let's get down to business, man," mm-hmm. because. And I said, I said it at the time, too. I said, I know you guys are going to kill this. Like, I want you to do it well from the beginning and not have to stumble. Like, you have a great idea and a good execution. Like, I don't want logistics. And just not knowing. You know, I wish that I had had somebody who sh- told me really basic stuff. Like, For well, sure. go ahead and buy new cardboard boxes. Stop trying to reuse your Amazon boxes to ship things. In. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's, there's just lots. Of, like, where do you even get those boxes? I don't know. So,
0: Right. Knowledge can be encouragement. It doesn't have to be this thing, yeah. you know, telling you that you're doing all the wrong things. Yeah. yeah. And you and were like, that for us. Yeah.
1: Right. And, and if somebody has a really good idea, like what a shame if fear and just being lonely stops them from putting their good idea onto the mm-hmm. world. What a shame. Right.
0: You need yeah. to be that person. I want to be
1: a cheerleader for somebody.
0: You are such a good cheerleader. <laughs>
1: it's good.
0: Thanks so much, Beth. Thank you. Love you. Love you. Bye. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. To stay up to date on all things Natalie Creates, sign up for my newsletter at nataliecreates.com or follow me on Instagram at nataliecreates. This episode is sponsored by Freckled Hen Farmhouse, a modern day general store filled with thoughtful home goods, Gifts and seasonal decor that encourages everyone to live fully and give generously. You can visit the brick and mortar store at 840 North College Avenue in beautiful Fayetteville, Arkansas, or shop with Freckled Hen online at freckledhenfarmhouse.com. Use code Podcast 15 at checkout to receive 15% off your purchase at freckledhenfarmhouse.com. Don't forget, If you like what you've heard today, please, please, please leave a review and share this podcast on Instagram. Simply take a screenshot, share on stories, and tag me at Natalie Creates so I can thank you for your support. Thanks, y'all. Let's talk soon.